Well, welcome again uh, to Bethlehem today. If this is your first time jumping in with us, at least in this series, uh, we are going basically taking the series through the life of Jesus. Uh, we're taking the time from Christmas all the way up till Easter uh, to go uh, 12 weeks and hitting the highlights of uh, what Jesus did throughout the last three years of his life. Um, and so the couple of things we, we hope that you can take away from this series is that, first of all, as we d- dive into these episodes or accounts of Jesus' life, that obviously each one would bring you a new insight into who Jesus was, what he did, and how that changes your life. Uh, but the other thing that we hope you take away from this series is that you get a, a good general picture also of what happened throughout the last three years of Jesus' life. Uh, the timeline that we've been using in this series kind of breaks out the last three years of his life. First of all, you've got the year of, of introduction where people started to know him. You get the year of popularity where people love him. And then the last year in which he died is the year of opposition where uh, people started to gang up on him and people started to leave him. And so where we're at this week is actually at the tail end of that middle year, at the year of popularity. And this has been an amazing journey so far in this series, if you've been with us. First of all, we had a guest last week that I was talking to after the service, and he said, man, I wish I'd been here uh, for all the weeks leading up to this just to, you know, get in the rest of the story. And if that's you, if, if you haven't, you know, seen parts one through six of this series, or if you missed one or two, um, wish no longer for seeing them. You can go to our website, BethlehemLakeville.org, and go to the Messages tab and see all those there. Um, you can even subscribe to our audio podcast, all, all these messages, and get this. Here's like the reason I'm sharing this part. Pretty soon, I can't give you any dates, but pretty soon, if you have an Amazon Alexa, um, she will be able to share the messages with you from, from here also. So she will not just share the weather with you, she will share the gospel with you. It's amazing. Um, so no dates on that yet, it's just something that we're, we're kind of working on and just for fun. But anyway, we've, we've gone through so much content in this series and lots of great high points from Jesus' life. Uh, we've seen him at his baptism. We've seen him change water into wine. We've seen how he interacts with the un- most unlikely people. And uh, we've, we've seen the way he preaches. We've seen the way that he gathered his first disciples. So many different things. And rightfully, this series is focused on him and what he did. But here in week 7, Jesus is going to flip this around just a little bit as we look at this next account from his life. And the question I want you to wrestle with today as, as we get started is simply this. We've gone through six weeks now of his life. My question for you is, what do you believe about Jesus? Who do you believe he is? What do you believe he did? Do you believe he was really born of a virgin? Do you believe that when he was baptized, God opened up heaven and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased? Do you believe that he could change water into wine? Do you believe that he could heal people? Do you believe that he approached people with the perfect measure of truth and grace? What do you believe about Jesus? Because it's one thing to stand up here and teach about what he did, but it's another thing just to, to, to take inventory of yourself and say, well, what do I really believe? And what we're going to look at today invites you to dig down into this question and maybe find something a little unexpected. But there's really two parts to belief, two core things, two sides of the coin. The one side is knowledge. 
you can't believe something unless you know about it, right? You can't believe that the ice is thick enough to support you unless you've measured it or unless you've seen other people on the ice, right? We need knowledge. We need to, to have this data so that we can know what we're believing. That's part of it. And by the way, at the end of this series, we're going to see the whole knowledge thing come to ful- fulfillment because I believe it's the resurrection of Jesus that's the one piece of evidence that makes everything else line up. We'll, we'll get to the knowledge thing later in the series. But the other side of this coin isn't a head knowledge. The other side of the coin is a trust with your heart. And what that looks like is actually taking what you know and then applying it, leaning on it, trusting in it, actually putting it into your life. So here's a way to think about it. You know, the head knowledge thing, that's easy. You can take a test and know what you know, right? But the heart trust thing, you can't take a test. It's more like you need to be tested in your life. It's really when you see a person, how they live their life, and and you know this from watching people, you can kind of see what they believe based on the way that they live. But what we're going to see today is that there's no clearer time to see inside a person's heart and what they believe and what they trust than when they are being squeezed by trouble and hardship. Um, I've heard it put this way, where... If you squeeze a toothpaste, um, what do you call it? A toothpaste tube. There you go. If you squeeze a toothpaste tube, what's going to come out? Toothpaste, because that's what's inside of it. When you are squeezed by trouble and hardship, what's going to come out? Not toothpaste. No, not toothpaste. What's going to come out is what you've been having concealed in your heart. On a normal day, we can go through life and, you know, we've got it put together. We're good people. We can be kind to our neighbors. But when those bad days come, when the storms hit, you know this from the people you work with and the people you live with. When the storms come, that's when you really see what's inside a person's heart. I put it this way, number one on your sheet. Every storm reveals some beliefs that your heart conceals. Um, Different storms are different. Different areas of life maybe reveal something um, that other storms might not reveal. But every storm, if it troubles you, if it moves you, it's going to reveal what your heart has been concealing on the inside. You know this from the people you work with and the people you live with. When those bad day comes, you're like, oh, I never saw this side of her. Or, my goodness, he's just so impatient. What's going on? And we all know this from kids. Like, when they get no sleep, the toothpaste comes out everywhere, right? It's, it's amazing what happens when they get no sleep. Every storm, every trouble just reveals more of what our heart conceals. And so if you really want to know what you believe, you have to do more than just take a test. That measures what you know. If you want to know what you believe and what you trust in, You have to see how you live through a season of storm in your life. As you think about storms, maybe uh, one observation, one way I've heard it put is that everyone is either just coming out of a storm, in a storm right now, or headed into one soon. You see, in this world, there's... There's no place you can go to be free from trouble and free, free from these storms that come up. It's just a matter of when and where they happen. And also as you think about storms, there's really three places that they come from. And I just want to flesh this out a little bit because this is going to help you internalize and think about what Jesus is about to do here in today's account. There's three places that storms come from. Number one, they can come because of your own fault. 
Storms come from your own fault. You know you should have been treating your body differently. You know that you should have had a different habit. You know you should have stopped that habit. You know you should have stopped spending, but you didn't. Everyone was telling you not to date her or not to date him, but you just ignored them. Um, Sometimes we get ourselves into this storm because it's our own fault. And you're like, okay, well, what do we do with this? (laughs) And what does God do with that? We'll get there. A second place that storms can come from is they can come from others. Someone was going too fast and they hit your car, they, they damaged your property, now you got to deal with this mess and insurance and all this big storm, whatever that comes up. Or maybe somebody injured you. Someone at work was saying some things that were untrue and now it got, got out everywhere and now you have to deal with the fallout. You know, some storms that we go through in life are the direct result of because of the things that other people have done against us. Okay, well, what does that say about us then in the way that we deal with it? Well, we'll get there. And then there's a third thing. I think it's the most difficult one. But the third source of a storm could be God himself. God, God made it or God at least permitted it to happen in your life. And these are the storms where it's not my fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's just something happened. Maybe it was a literal storm that, that changed everything, that wiped out your house. Maybe... Maybe it was a sickness, an illness, a disease, a cancer, whatever it is. And you say, well, we couldn't control that. It was just something that God permitted. And again, as you think about where that storm came from, well, how does that, de- how does that determine the way you deal with it? And we're going to dig into all those things. But just keep this in your mind because I know that some of you today came here in the middle of a storm. And right now you know maybe it's one or two of those things up on the screen that contributed to it. But as we get into this, I just want this truth to sink in. Because if you leave early, no one ever leaves early during my sermons. But if, if you leave early or if you're watching online and you can't finish to the end, I just want to, to let this truth sink in. This is what we're going to see play out today as Jesus in, engages in some of his disciples who are in a storm. And it's, it's number two on your sheet here. Do not allow the presence of any type of storm cause you to doubt the presence of God in that storm. It doesn't matter if the storm was your own fault. It doesn't matter if the storm was someone else's fault. It doesn't matter if the storm was caused or permitted by God. Don't allow any type of storm to cause you to doubt that the presence of God in that storm. And the reason I want to let that sink in is because I want you to know that whatever it is you're dealing with, or maybe it's something from your past that you just haven't been able to reconcile with your faith, there is hope and there is peace. And we're going to see how as we go into this next phase of Jesus' life towards the end of his second year. And we're going to see how he interacts with some people who doubted him. Who even questioned him in the middle of a storm. We're going to look at Mark's account of what happened in one day in Jesus' life. In fact, as Mark records this, he was there. He was making observations. He was throwing in details because he had to record what happened this day. Mark, Mark, uh, the section we're looking at in Mark chapter 4 starts off this way. Mark said, that day when evening came. And that day, as you look back through Mark chapter 4, that had been a really long day. A really, really long day. Um, I said this in the first service that I don't know how you teachers do it. Like I know we have a lot of teachers that attend Bethlehem. I'm cranky if I have to teach two classes in a row. 
right? Like my energy is spent, my emotional energy is gone, I'm just crabby, I'm like, leave me alone. But teachers, you're up there like eight hours a day teaching children and you have the patience of, I don't know where you get that from, but it's just amazing. Now, what Jesus had been doing this day was teaching all day long, teaching crowds of people as they would come around him. He was also being confronted by people and accused of things. On that day, Jesus was accused of working for Beelzebub, working for the devil, On that day, Jesus drove out demons. On that day, Jesus healed people. It was a busy day, and now they're at the end of it. So Mark says, okay, it's been a long day, but at the end of that day, when evening came, this is what happened. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, guys, we need to get out of here. We're spent. We need to leave. Let's go to the other side. And he was talking about the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so it says, leaving the crowd behind, or dismissing the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So what seems to have been the case was Jesus was was near the Sea of Galilee, and crowds came in, and what Jesus would often do is he would say, hey, Peter, hey, James, whoever has a boat nearby, let's just set out in your boat. The people will surround the coastline. This will be like our pulpit, our preaching platform. So Jesus was out in the boat, and he says, instead of going back to shore, instead of trying to make our way through the crowd or going down the aisle um, of the auditorium, let's just go backstage. Let's just go to the other side of the lake where we can recuperate and come back again tomorrow. So, So Mark is recording this happening. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And there were also some other boats with him. And here's where I really, really wish that we had a picture of what one of those boats looked like. We have some ideas from archaeological discoveries and we have some ideas from uh, uh, writings from that time. Um, But it seems like these boats weren't the biggest and maybe that's why Mark says that there were other boats. Maybe it was just Jesus and a few disciples in one boat and then some other disciples and there other boats around him. Or maybe it was just people in general. But the point was there were people around to witness what was about to happen. And here's what happened at the end of a very long day of teaching. A furious squall came up. And I know we use that word all the time, right? Especially in Minnesota. We, was, geez, was that a crazy squall yesterday? It's the squalling everywhere. We don't use that term because any precipitation we have is frozen. But uh, back then, the, the, what, the lake of, what the Sea of Galilee was known for was there were these furious, furious storms that would come through just out of the blue. And the reason is because the Sea of Galilee was perfectly positioned for the perfect storm. There were mountains around it. I think they extend up to about 2,000 feet on on one side at least. And what would happen is this nice cold air. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I got it right. This cold air would rush over the mountains. And as soon as it would get to the Sea of Galilee, all this warm air from the sea would want to go up. And all the cold air would want to go down. So there's your science lesson for the day. And these, this wind would just get so nasty, wicked, and the waves would, would go around. And you can even go on YouTube, and it, it looks like the ocean waves at times. The, the wind can get so furious. So Mark is saying, this thing was horrible. A furious squall came up, and the waves were breaking over the boat, nearly swamping it over. This was a bad situation, made worse by the fact that this was at the end of a long day, and everyone was exhausted. Perhaps no one as exhausted as Jesus because what Mark records next is remarkable. Verse 39, for, uh, 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Sleeping on a cushion. I had to look this up. The stern is in the back of the boat. 
I literally had to look that up this week. I do research to make sure I'm well prepared for what I'm preaching. He was in the back of the boat, sitting on a cushion, laying down on a cushion, sleeping. And again, here's where I wish we had a picture of what these things look like. Was it above deck, below deck? How, how big was it? We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus was absolutely calm, even when everything around him wasn't. But the disciples were not. Jesus was sleeping on the cushion, but the disciples woke him up, startled him awake, roused him awake. They said, I'll go back one quick. They said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? You've wondered that too. Especially if the storm was caused by someone else or if the storm was allowed or permitted by God. You've stood up in the rain looking at the storm, everything crashing around you, and you're like, God, don't you care? Where did you go? Where are you? Don't you care about me? Why did you allow this to happen? Why me and not them? What's going on here? And though Jesus was completely calm, you can see that the disciples were anything but calm. They were distressed. They were anxious, terrified. Don't you care if we die today? Is it of no concern to you? And probably what they were implying was, Jesus, you need to grab an oar and start row, row, rowing this boat to shore. You need to grab a bucket and start getting the water back where it belongs, out of the boat and into the sea. Jesus, you need to get us to shore. Don't you care? Are you just going to sit there and sleep while we all die? And don't we wonder the same thing sometimes when we go through storms? So what would Jesus do in this moment, right? They, obviously, they, they trusted him for, for preaching. They trusted him to, to get demons out of people. They trusted him to, to do all these miracles. But on the sea, things were a little different. All of a sudden, as they were squeezed, what was coming out was not trust at all. So here's what Jesus said. We'll come back to this at the end too. So Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves. And isn't it interesting how that word is used, rebuke? Um, we rebuke our children when they get out of line. You can rebuke a dog if it's naughty. I don't think you can rebuke a cat, though. I'm not sure. Spray bottle. Spray bottle. I think that's how you rebuke a cat. We can rebuke things when they get out of line and when they go beyond what they're supposed to. Jesus rebuked the storm. He called out to the, to the waves, quiet, be still. And this was remarkably similar language to what Jesus would use when he would address demons inside of people. Quiet, leave him alone. Quiet, be gone. Short, concise commands that had to obey him. And at this, the wind died down and it was completely calm. The sea became like glass. Wow. And once he had rebuked the wind and the waves, he then rebuked his disciples. We'll get to that in just a moment. First of all, looking at the, the disciples, verse 41, here's what we see from them. They were terrified at this. They said to each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And this tells us so much as to what's in their heart and what's going on. You see, they had trusted Jesus and known that he had certain powers, capabilities, but they never thought that he could actually command the wind and the waves. That was just not in their mind. Maybe it was an ignorance thing, or maybe it was just a defiance thing. But they said, there's no way that he can just tell nature what to do. 
And I think we can do very similar things in our lives today. Maybe it's an ignorance thing where we, we just don't know what, what God commands, what he says, or what his, what his plan is for different areas of life. Um, for example, maybe it's with, in regard to relationships. And you've lived your life thinking, that, thinking one way, thinking that um, the way that you, you uh, treat someone or live with someone is, is just more about you. And there came a day when you realized, well, wait a minute, that wasn't God's plan all along. That, I've been living kind of in defiance. I've been living in the dark as far as what he wants. But I think there's a stronger side to this. I believe in all of us, whether you're a lifelong Christian or not, there is a part of us where we are in prideful defiance of letting God into certain areas of our life. Like I said, for the disciples, it was control over nature. They think no way that he can do that. So they just did not bring him into that area of their life. They denied access to him. What is it for you? What area of life have you been denying God access to? For some of you, it's an addiction. For some of you, it's a hobby that has turned into an addiction. Um, perhaps it's, it's a substance abuse thing. And you said to yourself, oh, it's just this little thing. I've got it under control, but you keep going back and back and back and back. And after a while, you begin to realize that maybe you don't have it under control. But God, no, you don't have access to this area of my life. I've got this under control. I've got this. But you don't. Um, is it a financial thing where you're like, yeah, I know there's a better way, and, but I just want to spend my money the way I want to spend it. I want to live the way I want to live. And God, you, you can't have access to this area of my life. At least not yet. I'm not ready to hand it over. I'm not ready to give you access. What area of life is it for you? Because all of us has one. Maybe it's a little one. Maybe it's a major one. But what would it look like to let God in? Because here's the thing, when the disciples did not let God have, or let Jesus have access to this, this issue with the wind and the waves, and they said, well, there's no way he can do anything about that. The thing is, it only denied themselves of peace. They only forfeited peace from themselves. And you can get that from what Jesus says next. And this, this is where it really sinks in for me, and maybe for you too, about what it looks like when we live in defiance of God and deny him access to a certain area. This, this is how the rest of the story went. So we saw this. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. And everything was completely calm. You see, Jesus did something amazing here. <laughs> the disciples wanted to get to shore. They had this view that if only they could get to shore, they would be safe. Everything would be fine. Come on, Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? Grab the oar. Let's row, row, row this boat back to shore. Come on, come on, come on. They wanted to get to shore, but Jesus did not bring them to shore. He gave them peace while they were still in the boat. And though they were doubting him and denying, that, denying him, it's not like Jesus tugged them along or made them suffer any longer. But here's, here's the interesting thing. Once he rebuked the wind and the waves, he then turned to his disciples and rebuked them in, in kind. Verse 40 says this. He said to his disciples, Why? Are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And in those words, he expresses that God, that Jesus, he was not like angry at them. He was just upset that they had forfeited a peace that he could have provided all along. Jesus was calm in the midst of this overwhelming storm because he had the power to overwhelm. 
what was overwhelming them. If only they had faith, if only they trusted, they would have this kind of peace too. But I want to go back to that thought that Jesus didn't bring them to shore. He didn't get them through the storm. He actually provided them peace in the middle of it. He gave them peace even while they were in the boat. And in just a second, I want to apply what that means for your life. As, as you think about the storm that maybe you're in right now or the storm that you were, you were in uh, back a while ago, you can think specifically, yep, I probably would have had more peace if I had trusted in God's presence here. I probably would have had more peace in the middle of it. I probably wouldn't have just asked to be done with the storm, but I would have turned to God sooner in the middle of it. Because here's the thing, number four on your sheet. Peace is not found in the absence of storms. Peace is found in the presence of God, even in the storms, even in the boat. And we saw Jesus prove that to his disciples. Even in the boat, there can be peace for you. Even though the storm is still going on. Now the application for this section, it's, it's intense, I know, and... So many different kinds of storms going on, but I, I want to start off by showing you an application from the Bible itself. It's from the Apostle Paul. And what's, what's interesting to me about this section, it's a letter that he wrote. And what's interesting is, is that they, everyone who's, who's a scholar and is smart about this stuff, they say that this was most likely the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote before he was executed. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, he was, they were trying to silence him, trying to hush him, but they couldn't. And so they, they put him on trial to be executed. And he's writing this letter. He's writing it to a guy named Timothy who was a, a church leader back in the first century. And as he's writing these encouragements to Timothy, he throws this in there as an encouragement. He turns to his own story when he was going through some storms. And this is what he shared. Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul said, at my first defense, when he was on trial, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Here he was in the thick of the worst storm of his life, being put on trial and facing execution. No one was there. But then he says this, but the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength. He provided peace, even in the midst of the storm. And what he would also write is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happens, no matter what the ending is, I am more than a conqueror in Christ. Wow. Peace, even in the boat. So here's how this, this ends for you. Um, one quick thought here. No matter what storm you're in or what you've been through, the worst storms that you go through can be a gift if they make you depend on God, if they drive you to depend on God. And with that in mind, every storm has the potential to do that. Every storm. You go back to the beginning. Okay, well, the three different kinds of storms, there's some storms that we get ourselves into. And of those, we might think, okay, God's just going to let us flounder because it's our fault that we made the mess. We got to, you know, sleep in the bed that we made, right? We have to figure it out. We have to clean it up. But here's the thing. Do not doubt God's absence or God's presence in the presence of a storm of your own making. Here's the power in this. You see, God does not abandon you when you make up a storm of your own doing and then you're suffering because of it. He is very much present with you. And here's the power of that. You see, when we're in a, when we're in a storm that's of our own making, quite often we think, I'm a failure. I'm no good. No one should love me. 
God must hate me. I have to clean up my life if anyone's going to accept me. And God steps in in the presence of that storm and he says, child, you are not a failure. You are a redeemed child of mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. And your identity is not failure. Your identity is more than conqueror. You're forgiven. You have failed, yes, but you are not a failure. You belong to me. And what peace does that give, even when you're in the boat, surrounded by the storm of your own mistakes? Second kind of storm is the storm done by other people's failure, or other people and what they've done against you. And it's during those storms where the, probably the, the last thing you want is for God to step in because the most thing you want is for God to, to punish them. You want to get even. You want to make things even. But I'm just going to tell you what power there is and what peace there is when you acknowledge God's presence in the storm of someone else's making. Because what God brings to the table is a heart that is ready to forgive. And that won't just bring that other person peace. It will bring you peace also. Acknowledge his presence, even in storms of other people's making. But the last one, I think, is the toughest. What about the storms where God was responsible? Or at least God permitted the storm to happen. Things were beyond your control and God let it happen. Like, how can you actually believe that God has your best intentions in mind when he let that happen? Why did it happen to me? Why is this storm over me? And not them, not her, whatever. And I just have to tell you, of all the storms, especially for that one, do not take the presence of the storm to doubt the presence of God. And here's why. You see, when Jesus came, we're going to see this in a few weeks, when Jesus came, he came so that he could enter the absence of God. So you would not have to. You and I get this wrong all the time. We, we go through storms, no matter what kind they are. We doubt God. We say, what are you doing? Where are you? Don't you care about me? And we just react with this sinful nature. But Jesus came and he took on our storm. And if you want to know what the absence of God looks like, look at the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus died when he was on his knees in prayer saying, Father, Father, This cup is going to overwhelm me. If there's another way, let's do that. But if not, I'm willing. If you want to know what the absence of God looks like, look no further than the cross where Jesus was hanging and the darkness that surrounded the land. Because it was on that cross that God could not stand the presence of his own son because his own son had accepted the sin of the world and the sin of you, the sin of me, the doubt that we take into our storms. He suffered the absence of God so that you would not have to. And that's why I'm so adamant with you today that when it comes to the presence of a storm, don't let that, don't make that uh, uh, lead to doubt in God's presence. He's very much there with you. So to wrap this up, wrap this up. Start the the opening question we started with. So what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Well, some of you have renewed your faith, you trust your confidence in him today, but some of you maybe are still quite not sure about what this all implies. And so let me just turn around the question a different way. Not what do you believe about Jesus, but what does Jesus believe about you? You see, he believed that your soul was worth enough to die for. He believes that you are valuable enough 
that he wanted to redeem you. And he knew the full out cost. He knew the absence of God and how he would suffer through that. And what Jesus believed about you, even to this day, is that you are way too valuable and way too loved by him just to let you be alone in a storm. He is with you. He is with you. And his presence, when you recognize it, it brings such peace, even if you're still in the middle of the boat. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, every life is different. No two storms are alike. And all of us, I think to different degrees, wrestle with the the things that have happened to us, either because of our own fault or someone else's fault or just something that you decided to permit. I pray that no matter what it is, we would see every storm as an opportunity to drive us to depend on you even more um, in our life. And when those seasons come, surround us with the right people who can remind us that though the storms may be present, we don't have to doubt your presence ever. Because you sent your son to endure your absence so that we can be with you forever in heaven. Let that be our joy and give us the wisdom, give us the understanding to know what to do with with this as we apply it to our lives and as we go out from this place. But let us go in peace. We pray all those things in Jesus' name as we also join in the prayer he taught. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.